What is going on, guys? And welcome to another episode of the Next Milestone Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Moran, and this week we also are being featured on The Tempo, which is hosted by Fresh Junkie Racing. And I am very grateful to Mike and Pat for allowing this episode to be featured on their podcast as well. If you have never heard of the Tempo podcast before, please be sure to give them a follow and a listen as well. They are a racing um, company that is based out of Baton Rouge. And if you've likely ran any 5Ks or 10Ks in the Baton Rouge area, you likely have dealt with fresh junkie racing before and just didn't realize it uh this is a full length interview i posted the whole thing this actually got cut a little short uh the device died on us while we was recording so you're gonna hear it kind of end abruptly i just wanted to give you guys a heads up so whenever it ends randomly you're like what the heck happened that's what happened the device died that's on me i uh probably should have monitored the the battery level a little better i guess but for whatever reason whenever i open up the uh, the device you know like the battery level looked fine but it just went from green to to, to nothing so uh yeah well live and learn and uh, i'll be changing the batteries out every time now for a full length so with that said um we're gonna dive into the episode hope you guys enjoy please share the show and uh we might be linking up again to do a different you know, episode maybe in the future. So with all of that said, if you've listened to the next milestone podcast before, you know, I always leave off my beginning spill with a piece of scripture and today is no different. And today I'll be reading John thirteen seven, which is going to be out of the new living Testament version, the NLT. And it says, Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I'm aware everything that's wrong with me, but still you accept me anyway. I live with the past I can't get past, and it still haunts me. So I'm asking for the courage to make a change. By your grace, I have hope. All right, good morning, Patrick. And today we have Patrick Fellows with us from Fresh Junkie Racing. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing awesome. And you? Good, good. Um, this podcast is going to be fueled by A-Game Hydration Drinks. As a hybrid athlete such as myself, A-Game helps me fuel prior and post runs along with lift sessions in the gym. Hydration is a major component to an athlete's performance. This beverage will help you come back better so you can bring your A-game every time. So I brought you a gift this morning of a case of the A-game drinks. So yep. I hope you enjoy those. Yeah, and I, like we would, uh, said right when you came in, we spoke with another person from there. Actually, the second time I've heard of them in a week, so that's good. It's <laughs> going well. Yeah, we're trying to get the uh, the name moving around in Baton Rouge for sure. Uh, so go ahead and just tell us a little bit of, about yourself, Patrick, and, and what's your background. Oh, man. Uh, that That is a incredibly loaded question uh i don't i don't know if you want the uh the the dirty of the the time where some people knew me from where i was uh not especially healthy and fit or you know currently i'll give the current one now and if we get into the other stuff we can uh for about 20 i don't know 23 24 years i've been 
uh, pretty active in what I would say is Baton Rouge's uh, endurance sports communities and, and call it a scene or call it whatever you want, but I've, I've been around for a long time. I was uh, basically in 2000, I uh, got had a uh, snowboard wreck. I never, never went snowboarding, went once with my wife on the first day on the Bunny Hill. I completely shredded my shoulder, uh, spent, you know, a week eating pain pills and sitting there just getting, you know, not able to do anything actually tried to go up on the uh on the lift to the top of the mountain with one arm strapped to me and let me tell you that is as a non-lover of heights that was a nerve-wracking experience um but came back had shoulder surgery and then was in a sling for 12 weeks uh so had no real could lift my right arm a little bit off my leg but no range of motion no strength i was 29 uh i was probably by the end of the 12 weeks i was probably 225 pounds of mostly squishiness um, I hadn't trained really in in 10 years I'd grown up a swimmer and uh so I started I started training I, I started going back I hated the gym like I hated doing I hated lifting I hated doing all the rehab like you know three pound weights and the stuff that you got to do to to rehab a shoulder so I started swimming again and uh, I ran into a, a guy that was in the same fraternity as me, but was maybe six years older than me. And he's like, man, you need to come to these spin classes. And I was like, all right, I'll do that. And I did. I started doing that really just to do something that you, you really don't lose a lot of weight swimming. I was like, so I need to start cutting some weight. I'm getting a little bit, you know, I'm feeling a little bit better in the water, getting some range of motion back. And so I started doing spin classes with this guy. And he's like, man, you're, you know, you're a really good swimmer. You'd kill a triathlon. Like, that's cool, but I don't run. He's like, what do you mean? You don't, you know, you hadn't run in a while. I was like, I've never run. So that, you know, I ran a 10 K when I was in fourth grade, I led the first 400 and got last, you know, like a, like an 11, 10 year old will do. Um, and so that, that kind of started it out. So I started, you know, I started training for my first triathlon. I was transitioning out of the kind of down and dirty restaurant and bar industry where I'd been working till 3 a.m. and partying and whatnot. And, you know, that was 2001. And so over the next five to eight years, I really started doing anything to try to figure out a way to create a career in the industry. Um, I was, I think, the sixth employee at Varsity Sports. I lived around the corner. Um, and I, so I started running with the varsity group back then. Um, I started doing triathlons and then I know, maybe 2004 or five in 2003, myself and another guy started Baton Rouge area triathletes, which turned into BR tri. And at one point had I don't know, 200 members, which is a big tri club for any area. <clears throat> um, but we started doing uh, the rocket kids series. So we did the, which was a kids only triathlon. And so that group put that on for a few years. And then myself and a woman named Susan, uh, Hayden went to women's hospital and started rocket chicks, which was a woman's only triathlon thing. And I give that information because those, that, um, race company, it was called, uh, the rock, it ended up being the Rocket Kids Foundation, which still puts on local tries and races. But it was how we launched the Louisiana Marathon. 
Um, and then from there, from the Louisiana Marathon, business partners that I have now, Mike Watney, Jonathan Juba, Pat O'Brien, they were all either racing or in the, the business in some way and wanted to get more into it. And so um, at the time, I was selling running shoes with Mizuno. I uh, had a couple restaurants and we were putting on, I don't remember, maybe three, four races a year. And um, my business partner, Jonathan Juba, quit his job and went in full bore in 2013 ish, I think, 2012, 2013. And over the last 10 years now, this is like a full on, legit, real business. So. It's, it's been a long time. And during that time, I did all sorts of other stuff myself, you know, right. you know, my, for me, it was always, how can I create a life where I can work out every day and feel zero guilt about it? If I want to go on a four hour bike ride, I'm going on a four hour bike ride on Wednesday and that's what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to feel bad about it. And most jobs don't allow you to do that. So <laughs> we right. try to figure out a way to do that. And I, that's probably a longer answer than you needed to know, but there, <laughs> there, there's certainly more, you know, it's been, it's been 20, that shoulder injury was St. Patrick's day of 2000. So right at 23 years, what, 23 years, you know, so that's a, that's a long time for sure. Yeah. That was going to be my next question was, you know, how long have you been running for? So, yeah, so, I mean, running, I grew up swimming, so I swam from when I was like, I mean, I think I, I, my mom taught swimming lessons at the Y where I lived in Michigan. And uh, so I was taking swimming lessons as a infant. Like they have like those kind of save yourself sort of classes where you learn to turn around and grab the wall. I mean, I was doing that at six, eight months. And then I swam competitively from when I was four until I was 17. And then I, I swam a little bit in college, not for, at a collegiate level, but I kept, I coached for a couple of years. And so I kept competing during those two, the two first, first two summers of college as well. But then I didn't do anything. I mean, from 1990 to 2000, I mean, I drank a lot. I smoked a lot. I did a lot of bad things for me, but I didn't do anything physical. So. <laughs> I understood exactly what you mean. I was done the exact same. I mean, path. a lot of people are right. Like you just kind right. of get into college. You've got no rules. You've got the opportunity to do whatever you want for the first time in your life. And some people can do that. Luckily, my children, but some people can do that with, uh, without going off the deep end. I kind of went, I edged more towards going off the deep end, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I was in the exact same shoes. So I, I know exactly what you mean. And I mean, I just kind of recently got out of that, that, that lifestyle. Too, right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been, it'll be a year come January. Okay. So, and, uh, if you would see who I was, I'll show you in a little while, but who I was a year ago to now is like drastically different. Yeah. So like, it's, it's incredible. Like what you can do if you just keep showing up every single day, it's literally about consistency. Correct. Um, so I was going to ask if you ran in high school or in college, but no, yeah. I mean, I did not start running until I was almost 30. Right. So it kind of answered itself whenever you were speaking in the beginning, but, um, you mentioned whenever you hurt your shoulder that you began to go to PT and stuff like that. And you didn't really care for it. Was that like a trainer that you had, or that was like a, a physical therapist? That was that a was... physical therapist to really okay. just to rehab my shoulder. I mean, I, I was, I had, so I had the injury and was in a sling for a week and then came back. I had basically a fourth degree shoulder separation, which is ripping every leg tag, everything that holds your, 
shoulder and socket, like holds everything up. And so they, they, when I was in, I was in Idaho when it happened and, and they were like, we don't, we're not going to do surgery here. Like, you know, enjoy the rest of your week and go home and see somebody and, and plan from there. So I got home, went and saw somebody like the next day and then had surgery the day after that. And they put two pins in it and those pins were in it for a month. And then after that, I was still in a sling for another two months. And so I basically could lift my arm off my, your side, you know, I could lift it forwards a little bit, but I couldn't lift it up. And, uh, it was a, you know, I went to PT just to get that range of motion back. Funny, the guy that is the PT that I had then is now in charge of BRPT Lake. Our daughters went to high school together. Like I've known him like this whole part of my life since then and remained, he sponsors some of the races he's out and stuff. So it's pretty cool to have that full circle. Right. Um, so did you go to Michigan university or did you go to LSU? No, I went to LSU. So I was born in Michigan. Uh, and when I was just before I turned seven, we moved to Long Beach, Mississippi, which is right okay. on the coast. And so from seven through high school for the next 10 years, I was on the coast, came here and went to LSU and have been here ever since. Okay. What yeah. made you choose uh, coming to LSU over like Mississippi State or Ole Miss? You know, I was playing music at the time and I almost didn't go to college at all. I wanted to go move somewhere and start a band. And that was not, didn't sit well with my, uh, my parents at the time. And I had applied to the University of Michigan. Um, but then, you know, I just wasn't interested in Ole Miss. I went and visited Mississippi State and was like, good Lord. I mean, in 1989, it was a pasture. I mean, it was in the middle of nowhere and there was nothing there. It's still like that. And it's, I mean, it's grown <laughs> a lot. Let me tell you, it is, we took our son up there to visit. It has grown a lot, but it is still, uh, it is still rough. And then Hattiesburg, like it was like Hattiesburg was Denham Springs to me right. to put it in perspective. Like it was Correct. like this kind of little country town that had a university in it. And then the, then there was LSU and I went to high school with a bunch of kids that were from New Orleans, from Baton Rouge. I think 13 of us came to LSU and two of us graduated from here. Wow. One transferred to LSU, still a good friend of mine. I mean, I'm sorry, transferred to Ole Miss and he graduated from there. But yeah, it was funny. It was like we all came here and then everybody just started dropping like flies. So that's, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's not a very good ratio for, no, that's for, terrible. for graduating. We had oh, a lot of fun though. Oh, I, I, I believe it. What was your uh, major? Whenever you I have a history school? degree. Actually. A history degree? Yeah. Okay. And that was 100% because I think I got to my fourth year and I graduated in five years. So I got to my fourth year and I'm like, I got to get out of school. And they said, well, if you take these classes, you can graduate with a history degree. And I said, Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, I have a family friend that's actually uh, a historian, and he yeah. works for the state uh, of Louisiana for the state parks and stuff. So we could talk about that too if you would like. But um, so I was going to ask if you were married and had kids, and I see the ring, and yeah. you were speaking about your kids. So are they involved any with running and, and what you do? Or? Yeah. So my my wife is a nurse, has been a nurse. We met in '97, and she got a job at Women's Hospital the week after we met or two weeks after we met something like that. And she's worked there ever since. Um, she's worked our races from time to time, but really she, you know, does her thing and I've done mine. My daughter, uh, is a junior at Southern Miss. Uh, she was a tennis player during high school. Never really liked running. We never, 
we never pushed our kids to be runners. Right. Right. Like running is a hard enough thing and like it, they've got to want to do it with anything. But we were like, you got to do something like just keep something active. My son, on the other hand, though, is actually he's a freshman. He's running at Roanoke College. So he started running in second grade. Um, myself, Jonathan Juba, my business partner and, and Walker, I think is actually one of the guys as well. We did this program similar to girls on the run called let me run. It was for boys and it was for fifth and sixth grade boys. I believe maybe fourth and fifth. I don't remember exactly. Anyhow. So I was doing that every day after school for like six weeks and my son was in second grade. And so he had to stay every day that I stayed and, uh, and he started running in second grade. And so he ran through middle school. Uh, he took a year off in high school. I don't think he ran his freshman year, maybe. And then started running again during COVID. And then, you know, excelled. And, man, I'm a big believer. You know, the things that we find out as adults about all the positives of running and starting your day that way and the right. energy and all the stuff that seems commonplace for, you know, people who run who get it we noticed that he was um, excelling at things when he was running. Um, and then his junior year, he had an injury, and he he didn't start doing badly, but he just was stressed. Everything was harder. And once he started running again, that smoothed out, and he decided, you know, I want to try to run in college. And so we I helped him. I, was, I coached university lab uh, cross-country for the last seven years. Okay. And so you still I, do that? I got to coach him. My, my last day was last Monday. Okay, come yeah, on. I just, we, he's now running in college in uh, Salem, Virginia, which is 13 hours away. And we want to be able to go see some of Visit, his needs right. and, you know, and watch him. We got to go watch him run last, uh, last weekend once for the year. But it's, yeah, he loves it, man. You know, I always, and I always say for, you know, any parents who are listening to this who have kids that want to run in college, there's ample opportunities if you can get creative and your kids have good grades, which, you know, those things seem like common sense things, but they don't have to be the fastest kid on the team because my son wasn't. And, you know, but he was consistent and, and worked hard. And now he's, you know, he's kind of getting that boost in college that a lot of kids have in high school. Right. And uh, what does he run? Does he run track or cross country? He is, he's actually running all three. He'll run, he just got done with cross country season. They roll the school he's at. It's called Roanoke College. They have an, a very nice uh, indoor facility. So he'll do indoor and outdoor. So he's going to be running all year long. Okay, awesome. And he's uh, he's loving it, man. He uh, he went there with an injury, and that was kind of a, a tough thing, being thirteen hours away. But since right. then, he's like, things have smoothed out, and he's loving it. It's awesome. Oh, what distances does he do at track? So I'm kind of like new to running. So yeah, that's yeah. Why I was going to touch base on some running. So he, you know, they can... run, high school runs in Louisiana runs three mile for cross country. Right. Um three mile or 5k depending right college runs eight and 10k and then so he doesn't know what he'll run for uh track i think that he is probably one of the he's more of a distance guy so i think his coach will probably put him in 3k to 5k on the track um and then over probably his high school career i mean i'm sorry college career if he excels at 3k 5k He'd be a natural to go to the 10K distance. Um, and then below the 3K, though, they have 1,500, 800, 400, you know. Right. But those, you know, 1,500 is about 
110 yard 110 meters shy of a mile but it's in college they start running all the uh olympic distances and everything's metric so you know in high school everybody runs the 30 1600 3200 which it kind of equates to mile two mile right but once they get to um collegiate level collegiate level everything else is uh it's 8 15 3k 5k 10k 3k steeple which he's interested in running the 3k steeple which i'm like man that sounds terrible what's a 3k steeple so it's, it's a 3k and but it has four hurdles per lap and one of them's a water hurdle so okay, they have yeah. a hurdle and they jump over a water pit right i've seen those before on during and, the olympics i'm pretty sure yeah it's it's brutal because you know you have to know how to hurdle but i mean and he's five eight ish and like he's he wants to be the hurdle guy i'm like all right go ahead man good luck <laughs> good luck awesome that's good info to know um so what's the background story of fresh junkie itself the how how the name come about and yeah so uh i had a, i had a restaurant the the rocket kids races and rocket chicks and rocket kids foundation sprung forth because i had a restaurant called rocket at the time which was like a healthy burrito place uh and then over time in 2007 i switched that into fresh salads and wraps and around i don't know it was around that time i bought i had the idea for fresh junkie and it was, it was the same thing right it was like what I, I bought freshjunkie.com, I think in 2007, but I did not feel like Baton Rouge was ready for using the word junkie in any way, shape or form. Cause it's right. a pretty conservative area, pretty conservative town. But then I think in 2014, I switched it from fresh salads and wraps to fresh junkie. And then, uh, as we started, um, as Jonathan Jubin and I started coaching people, so our coach athletes as well, we just kind of made it Fresh Junkie Racing. It was just kind of – we. I looked at Fresh Junkie as, yeah, it was a salad shop, but it was more a lifestyle brand. It was more about living healthy and, like, it was all the, all the things. And so we just – we kind of wanted that as a an extension of what that brand was about, right? Um and so that was kind of where it came from. And now it's, you know, it's full circle. So now that I've, I've shut the restaurants, I'm out of the restaurant business. And now we're, we're just a race company. So it, it's, it lives on as a, you know, as a, as a lifestyle brand. So it's good. Right. Um, so I mentioned before we started recording that I watched your Ted talk and yeah. that you had wound up in a lot of debt in that yeah. time frame of, was this during the point of view setting up the fresh junkie period or was this before yeah it was before it was before i switched from rocket to fresh junkie so before i switched the concept i had a i opened one store in the main street market and then i opened a second one in on state street uh you know where the chipotle is on state street by lsu yes it was one door over so it was okay. a burrito place right where they have a burrito place but it was in 2004 2005 ish when that area was really on the way it was supposed to be coming back, but it hadn't yet. And it just, it cratered and, uh, ended up losing a lot of money and, you know, starting over. That's how it goes sometimes. Right. Yeah. And I'll, how, how did you overcome that challenge? I mean, that's, it's a pretty big difficulty setback um, that 
a lot I of people know, probably man. I think that it, it. I think it has to do with you. You, you, you know, for the 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 short term, you, you look at it as kind of a a personal failure. Like there's a you can't help but tie yourself to the brands and the things that you've built. Um, and so I, I had that to kind of start out with, but after a while, you just start like you just can't sit there and wallow in it. Um, I do think I did. You know, I, part of my dealing with things was uh, I did that. I did that swim, um, and kind of went head down for like six months and really, uh, I trained and just tried to figure out what was next. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, I, I think I look, I mean, like I just closed two restaurants and there'll be some garbage to have to deal with, with doing that. And you, you look at, you have to look at it from the standpoint of like, all right, today I'm just going to move forward. And, and, you know, all these things are just, I say this and it's, it's going to sound odd, but everything's just a thing, right? Like it's, it doesn't have an emotional quality to it until you apply an emotional quality to it. I agree. So it's, it's not a big deal until you make it a big deal. Like if you can step back and go, okay, well, this is, these are the things that have to happen now that this is done, right? Like, and if you can separate those things, it makes your life a little bit easier. It doesn't make it doesn't change it but it's just it's like how you react to things as opposed to you know just you you you, you can decide it's a personal failure and everything's over All right or you can say well this is just a thing that i have to over i have to get through and then i'm on to the next thing and i'm not saying you don't waffle back and forth in between those two but it's you know more days than not you have to like you have to say like man this is i don't want to say it's not a big deal but it's it's not a you know there's going to be days it feels like a giant deal. And then, but the reality is, is that it, it doesn't matter. Like you still have to get through it, figure it out and go on to the next thing. Right. And kind of what hit me whenever you was thinking, when you were saying that was like when a tree falls in the woods and nobody's around. Yeah. Nobody hears it. Right. Right. But it still makes noise. It just, yeah, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it just doesn't. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think that one of the things that COVID that, that whole period, and I'm not like, um, I don't, I don't even ever even think about it. You know, some people like were like, man, COVID was terrible and this happened and this happened. And, and of course, man, I, I, you feel terrible for everybody that lost people to it and whatnot. But one thing that that whole thing taught me is that none of this stuff matters, right? Like, like if you would have told me I could not have a restaurant open for six weeks and it was going to be able to reopen and try to crawl back, I would have told you you're insane. Like that doesn't happen. Okay. And what you kind of learn is like, man, none of this stuff is, you know, it, it's just stuff. And it's just things and like things that happen. And if, if we want to believe that, I mean, there's people in the world that, you know, have not moved on from that. And they, you know, they, they base what any sort of adversity that they had during that period is defining them still. It's like, man, you just gotta, you gotta move along, <laughs> at least in my opinion. Right. No, yeah, I, I completely agree. And, uh, you know, like in the Bible too, it says like, you know, not to worry about worldly possessions, you know, and to store your, your treasures in heaven and, you know, to talk and like bring people to Christ. And so that, that exactly is right along the lines of what you're saying, too. Yeah. you know, like just not to be worried about the things of today or tomorrow and just, you know, and you, you wake up every moment. day and try to figure out what you got to do and correct, be the best you can and, and, and keep moving. <laughs> correct. Um, so what is one of the biggest difficulties with setting up races that you find 
Hmm. I mean, I wish my business partner were here to, to say it, to, <laughs> to, to dig in, dig in more of this. I think a lot of the things, you know, initially in our market and continuing in the South, you know, getting people driving the registrations, you know, from a lower populated area with a lower populated area of people that want to be fit. So you have to bring people in from, from without, right? Like that have to come here. That's challenging. Um, I think that sometimes it can be challenging battling the, um, not battling, but working with the municipalities that kind of get it, but have decided this is way th- the way things are and what, what value they have for the community. Um, getting people to see that value, I think, is, is sometimes hard. Um, I mean, there's in every race weekend something, no matter the best planning in the world, there's always something that happens. And so we've been very lucky and, and spent time. Again, the, the guys that all work here are way more operational than I am. Um, but we have spent a lot of time trying to recruit and build teams of people that understand uh, what it takes to, to put on the races and, and teach them and hopefully show them how to be able to solve the problems that happen with a race on their own, right? And problem solve. Because that's what racing is. Events are is a lot of real-time problem solving. Because, you know, I, I, I tell the story a lot. The very first year of the Louisiana Marathon, I was the course director. And myself and a guy named Brent were out marking, putting the miles out, the mile markers out. And we get to right, bef- right after mile six, which is by LSU Avenue, right? kind of by the beach area. And right. it was in the afternoon, the Saturday before the, uh, the marathon. And we get there and there is a, you know, maybe car width, hundred foot long trench, five foot deep dug the whole way in the middle of the street. And with a guy there that didn't speak any English, and I'm like, we, I need to know who's in charge. Because you, you check these things with permits. Like, right. the police should be able to tell you. I'm calling the police. They're like, we don't have any record of it. Uh, and I'm just, I'm telling anybody, I was like, this has got to be filled. And they're saying, no fill, no fill. And I'm like, it's got to be filled. And back and forth. And myself, you know, we finally, we just moved on. And, you know, I started calling people and hoping we could get it filled. And uh, never got word. And that night we were still out doing, still driving around, putting out, uh, mile markers. And Brent and I were like, we're about to turn left and go there. I was like, Hey man, go, let's go get a cup of coffee. Like I got to put this off another second. Went and got a cup of coffee and we came around it was a dirt mound. Everything was filled back up and, and good. But like we planned everything for 18 months for this event. And the day before, you know, had a trench, had a trench (laughs) in the middle of the course. So you know, that those, those things are the challenges. I think that, you know, one, one fresh junkie racing started becoming a larger company maybe four or five years ago. Um, we became, I don't want to say more professional, but we, it, when we first started out, we were putting on a couple races a year or a, a handful of races every year. And we had like three months in between them. So every time you came in, to an event, you felt like you're, there was all these like loose ends and missing pieces. But now, I mean, we have, I'm leaving today for a race in Mobile. 
We have two turkey trots next week. The week after that, we have Tiger 10K. The week after that, we have Mississippi Gulf Coast Marathon. Right. So we'll have, you know, four, five events in four weeks. Is that right? Yeah. So it just becomes more, it's like your job, right? You do it every day. When you started out, it was probably like, oh my God, I don't have any clue of what I'm doing. Right. And that probably felt that way for a long time. And it, you could probably change jobs within the profession you do. And the first year you might feel like you're learning, right? If you take on something that's completely different. Right. That's kind of what putting on a different event in a different town <laughs> every, yeah. you know, every three or four months felt like. Now it feels like we come here every day, we work. You know, we, we have everybody we can bounce stuff off of. And so it's just a different, it's a much more uh, cohesive way of doing it. Right. And that was going to be one of my next questions. Like, what about the challenges from going from Baton Rouge races or, you know, in Louisiana <clears throat> to doing a race in like Mobile, Alabama? Is it a difficulty with like dealing with different like police, I guess, and like governments that you're not <clears throat> involved with every day? Um, it, it can be. Uh, I think that over time we, we've gotten better. Most of the races we have, we haven't had new ones, but knowing what we know and how we've had to work with different municipalities makes it easier to go into newer venues now, if that makes sense. Like it's, it's not that far off. Um, there are kooky little things in every different, uh, every different city that you have to deal with. And, you know, you ask one of the challenges, one of the biggest challenges, I think, is getting people away from the this is how we've always done it mentality and not necessarily having to change everything, but being open to like, hey, man, like I understand this is how you all do it here. This is how we do it in every other venue that's worked well for us. Maybe it's something that, you know, and in those wins and seeing when when other municipalities can make small steps towards those things not only makes our life easier, but at least it feels like if you feel like you're, you're doing something that works in other places that right. they see it. Gotcha. Um, so with, I know these races like Louisiana marathon, that'd be my first marathon race that I right. ever do to since, uh, you were talking about it. And, I was speaking with uh, Hannah Amoroso last night, yep. and uh, <laughs> she wanted me to bring up and see if y'all could take out that hairpin in, in Vault 14. <laughs> nope. So <laughs> we we can't, and the, and the reason being is like every year there's some sort of change to the course, right. and you have to have somewhere where you can make it exact on the course, right. and it, it's going to require an out and back somewhere. Right. Yeah. I mean, we can just... take it out if she likes, if she wants to run 26.4 miles. Right. Right. Like that's the, that's the trade-off. No, yeah, I understand. No, it was just a joke, man. Um, And, uh, you know, I was the first, when the, the first, this course was, it's probably 85, 90% of when I can't design it the first time. Okay. And I had, it gave me great pleasure to take people over the North Boulevard overpass twice. I was like, oh, there are no hills here. We're going to hit this overpass and sure we could run around it, but we're not gonna, we're going over it both times. <laughs> yeah. So people, people sometimes want to be, uh, want, want that to be taken out of it, but it never will. I actually don't mind it. Uh, I, I ran it for the, uh, I think that our lady of the league yep. children's yep. the half last year. Well, I didn't do the half. I did the, uh, the 5k cause that's when I just started running. Okay. So that was actually my first chip time. Awesome. 5k was, was that race of this year? Yeah. You run over it and you just basically turn around on the other and side come of it right and come back. right back over. Correct. That's the worst way to do it. Yeah. I mean, I, 
I didn't find any struggle with it. Yeah. I mean, I, at least I found. And then I I recently did the all uh, QEP long yeah. bridge run. Oh so. wow! I've yeah. never run that one. I, it, part of me wants to. Part of me doesn't. Doesn't. And I did the uh, what well, this one isn't with y'all, but it was with Crescent City, the Connection yeah. Bridge. I yeah. did that one as well, and I found that they were both pretty similar races. Right. So I liked them. I mean it's a little different challenge you know you, you get the early burn on your calves i find but i mean it's time good. wise you should get most of it back right like the downhill should correct you, you yeah. like you should and that's that's sometimes hard because like people aren't used to running downhill around right. here and you probably were like why are my quads hurting the next day because you're just <clears throat> you're pound you're breaking every step and, correct. and that puts a lot of stress on your quads but yeah yeah i found i was trying to make up speed on the downs for sure to, to uh to catch up from what I was losing on the, on the uphill. Um, so how do y'all find pacers and things like that for the races? Do y'all have like a pool y'all pull from? Um, or? It depends on the event and depends on where it is. Mississippi, we're using a company that is basically a pacing company. Uh, they have, and it's a, I don't think it's the only thing this person does, but they basically, they take marathoners from all over half marathoners and put them together to run, uh, to who want to go do races so essentially they'll get like a free entry and you know we get somebody that can run you know a half or a full at a a pace that we need jenny and the varsity group have been very generous that's been a great partnership because a lot of people here want to run it right and because of how the course is laid out and our their knowing and our knowing how the course works out you can take the full and cut it up into two halves so two people may run the 145 pace or you know whatever 330 pace group you need two people can run a 145 right which is a lot easier to find than somebody can run a even 330 like that's you know once you start getting into the 330s and below it's It's hard to find people that can run consistently you know basically if you're a 315 pace person you're probably a sub three marathoner so that 315 like those people should feel like they're running easy right right like to pace so you know for i mean i don't know that i'd feel comfortable if i was in in shape i think i could run a i I, i'd feel comfortable pacing like a four-hour group at best right like because it's just and then once you start getting slower uh, i think it's even harder Right, like not harder, but it's different. Like you gotta have somebody that's willing to be out there for five hours. Right, that's another. That's another. Uh, another sort of runner as well, and just built different. Got to be able to maintain pace there too. So yeah, pace groups are pace groups are tough. Um, we try to we try to provide them, and you know, hopefully that they do a good job. Jenny's the best. I've tried to rope her into going to Mississippi a few times, but that's a tough sell. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, so how expensive is using a, a pace company like that? I'd, for I don't know. I, I can't remember. But it, it's really, I think we pay a fee to the woman who organizes it. That's not terribly expensive. And then, you know, then, but all the pacers are comp entries. So that's, if you look at it as, I mean, and some of those people wouldn't come run our race anyway. Right. But some of them would. And so we're, you know, we're basically giving up that income but not the end of the world i mean it's a service it's something that you're not you're gonna have 20 people right maybe a little bit more right so yeah i'm, I'm hoping to run in the uh the 330 pace group yeah. so that's that's my uh, goal i'm 
striving for. I feel like I'm kind of like selling myself a little short by doing it, to be honest. I feel like I can go a little faster, but I don't want to hit a wall. It's your first marathon? Correct. And and I'm doing three, the first three months of next year. So I would recommend, I don't know that we have a 335 group. I would almost even recommend starting out 10 minutes behind and use the first six miles to work up to where you want to be. Cause that way you don't get the adrenaline and go, Oh man, I'm feeling great. And take tear off from the three thirty group. Right. And then turn around the last six miles and like, I'm never doing this again. Right. Right. The goal is always, especially with people's, I always tell people that I coach like your the goal for your first marathon or half, depending like if you've never gone that far, half, have a marathon, half Ironman, full Ironman is you want to finish and go, I left time on the table, but I feel great. And I want to do it again. Right. I had a blast. Like, that's what I want people to feel. You know, some people do it and it's a death march and like they're done and they don't, and they like, they never do it again. Right. Like, I don't want that. I want, I want you to, I want you to do three and then I want you to decide what's next. And I want, want it to, you know, sure. There's going to be time maybe on your, third one or maybe next year you like hey man i want to boston qualify like that's something i want to do and i want to do that work that's cool and and that is a different type of running then it's cool to go out and go figure out where you pop on a marathon but don't do it on your first one right Right. like that just kind of sours it for the it has the opportunity to be way worse than just one race correct and that's that's exactly why when I first started running, I was like, you know, I want to go to Boston, right? I mean, yeah. everybody does. Sure. And I was like, well, I might as well try to do it on the first, the first one, you know, like, but yeah. it'll be a, a, a statement, right? But I just kind of like got real with myself. I mean, I can run the distance now. Like, if you were to ask me to go run this evening or tomorrow morning, it doesn't sure. matter. I can do it because I'm already logging like twenties, yep. like for long runs. But uh, I was just kind of like being real with myself and being like well i don't want to push myself too hard and like you said like you you like feel like you don't ever want to do it again and then you know i'm gonna go run the one in austin and i know you ran up before too so i was gonna ask you about that but um go run the one in austin then i feel like discouraged because i didn't make the time or right or like already hit the time and i don't really want to put in as, as hard as effort you know so i, I kind of want to have like a a natural progression. Correct. You should, for so sure. That's kind of how I want it to lay out. Austin is hilly. Right. It's big time hilly. And I think the back half is, I mean, I've only, I've only run the half. Um, yeah, I've only run the half, but it, it's hilly. My wife has run the full and she was like, it's no BS. And she's five feet tall and like loves the hills, like right. loves it. And she was like, that was some BS. <laughs> it was tough but yeah i i went to i was in shape i I did my first 20 miler i think it was 2005 or 6 maybe it was 2006 february 2006 i went i was in great shape my friend and i ran 20 miles i think we ran an eight minute pace just like controlled smooth and the next week i got an it flare up and like Sometimes when you get IT band syndrome, it like loosens as you run longer. Mm -hmm. Mine got worse. So I kind of like took two, two weeks off or did as little as I could. I rode the bike a lot and was like, I I can still go gut it out. And I got to the half of it. And I'm like this, I'm, you know, it it was also, it was a weird day, man. It was like 
20 degrees and raining, not snowing, raining. And then in windy and like it was a point to point race. And I was like, all right, my options are bail out at the 13 and have a ride home or end up like, you know, you didn't run with a phone. Right. (laughs) And you didn't have a map. Like, so I'm going to be 20 miles in and be like, then walk six miles or not know how, like, uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm done with it. But that, that dropout to the half was what the next week, I think I was in a, I was at a different, I was, we had this other food concept that I had me and a friend were there. And I told him, I was sitting there, he's like, yeah, how'd it go? I was like, I didn't do it. I was like, I'll probably be able to swim a marathon before I run one. And that was in February of 2006. And that was kind of the impetus to swim that far. Right. Which I actually ended up running. I actually ended up swimming farther than I ran. Yeah, you did 32 miles. Yeah. It was just, it was just funny, but it was, that was that failing at that race was what led me to do, to do that swim or to even consider that swim. Right. Yeah, and I heard what you said on the uh, TED Talk about the uh, the peanut butter cliff bars. Yeah. So I got you a peanut oh, butter cliff man, bar. Oh, man, that is wrong. Look, I have one here, so look. <laughs> I actually bought a cliff bar. That's great. But uh, I I bought two cliff bars. Uh, we were uh, – it was last week. So we went and saw my son run in Georgia. So Friday we drove eight hours, woke up Saturday morning – Watched him run, watched the girls run, got in our car and drove eight hours home. Sunday morning, woke up, did some work for just stuff that was happening with with events that was going on. Got in my car, drove to Alexandria, and then the next morning went to Natchitoches for the last high school state meet. But uh, that Sunday, I was like, I popped into uh, Trader Joe's and bought some fruit and some other stuff to eat. And I I picked up two, two Cliff Bars. Like every six months or so, I'll get cliff bars. I'm like, these aren't going to be that bad. And every time I get them, I'm like, this is exactly like it's (laughs) instantaneous. How like it brings me back to sitting on my couch every morning, looking at the map and looking at the distance I was going to swim, watching the weather before swim practice, eating a cliff bar and choking those things down. Yeah, I eat one at work every day right now. Yeah. I bought the big box at Costco. That yep. has the chocolate That's chip. That's what I did, chocolate butter. chip and peanut butter. Yep. For a while, they had a triple. It had uh, macadamia in it. It was three three flavors, but that that's what I did. And specifically, the thing that got me the worst was I did a one of the training swims I did for that thing. I swam for seven hours in a ski lake. And the first, so just to see where my line in the sand with how much food I could take in and like how much nutrition I could eat, I wanted to see where I got, if I could make myself sick while swimming, which sounds you know, kind of miserable. Masochism. Yeah. <laughs> sounds miserable, but you got to kind of know, right? right. Like you got to know where you are. Correct. And so for every 15 minutes for seven hours, I ate a half a cliff bar and drank stuff or whatever. And that was the, like, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. I was like, I mean, I'm going to eat them for the, the event. Cause that's what I've been doing. But I'm afterwards, I'm like, I don't care if I ever see one again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't get sick though. I just had a belly full of cliff bars and felt terrible. <laughs> oh man. All right. Oh, I, I guess for like a beginner, if they was to come to you and ask for some, you know, advice on running, what's, what's one piece of advice that you would give them? 
I would say to be consistent uh, over everything. Um, just because you can run four miles or five miles doesn't mean you need to go do that every day. For a beginner, you know, I would say run, you know, if you can work to where you're running four times a week and having a recovery day in between, that's, you know, I just trained a girl that I coached in high school. And in high school, typically you're running five or six days a week. And, you know, she went off to college. She's like, I want to run this marathon. And we worked her. Should we she was a freshman in college, moved 15 hours away, you know, all the things that go along with that. Right. And she ran four days a week and she ran a 338, had a great day. Like you can do a lot with less. Um, I would say mileage for mileage sake is not smart training. Um, but consistency, if you have time on a day and you don't think you're going to be able to run, let's say you have a 40 minute run and you only have 20 minutes don't not go run the 20 minutes, right? Like 20 minutes is better than zero minutes. Correct. Um, and I would say don't, if you're following a plan, like don't start freelancing. Like if it, if it has a rest day in between workouts, take a rest day, right? Like there's a reason that it's structured that way and you deciding, Oh, I'm going to run and Oh, I, I didn't get my workout in yesterday. So I'm going to run, you know, workout today and a workout tomorrow. Like it's just a way to get injured. Like, and just people don't know that. Right. I would say always, if you start feeling any sort of pain, you have to learn what the difference between soreness and injury is. But if you start feeling, if everything's been going great and you all of a sudden start feeling knee pain, foot pain, this and that, it's almost 99% of the time your shoes, check your shoes, go get new shoes. I mean, those are the, you know, and then pick something that pick a goal. Have something to focus on. All right. Um, I don't remember what my first... I mean, I started out in probably September of 2000. It was the fall of 2000 because I, uh, I had my injury in March. I started out in the fall of 2000 and I did the Couch to 5K program. I was able to skip ahead a little bit because I was also doing other cardio things. So I had some overall fitness. Right. But I literally, like, I could not run a mile. Like, I remember my first run with a guy I said, he was like, oh, you should do triathlon. My first run, the four-mile loop at the lakes, he's like, meet me at the lakes. We're going to run. I'm like, all right, cool. So we meet, we park our cars, and this was back in the day you just parked on the side of Stanford. There was no park. There was no nothing. It was just like a shoulder. And so everybody parks on the shoulder, and we get out the car, and we literally – we started together and we ran to the trail that runs along the side going towards the Ellis, like the sorority row, right? Like that little trail. It's yeah. Like, we ran there together and he took off. It took me 48 minutes to run the four miles and he ran six and a half in the same amount of time. And I was like, yes, this is terrible. But like, so you, everybody, like everybody, it's funny cause a lot of people think that I've always been like, a fitness guy like that's right. going to be the assumption you're going to see that too people are I like, have that yeah they're like oh man you, you don't understand because you're like this I was like hey man like I used to smoke two packs of cigarettes a day and was like you know 50 pounds heavier don't you don't I understand that that was 23 years ago but like I understand what it's like to start out with that All right yeah oh, that's exactly what you're saying everybody's like oh you, you've been running like you, you you're fast or you're whatever I'm like I've just started this like 
I'm just proof that you can do it too. And that's, that's why I started the podcast. I mean, I say that so often. I don't know why I keep repeating myself, but like, it's just like, if you just put your mind to it, you know, and keep showing up, like I was saying, you can definitely do the work. You just have to put it in. And so many people like want the instant gratification, you know, and they just want to be fast now or run the distance now. I'm like, I didn't start off like that. Yeah. I think it's important for people like, like yourself, like me, like everybody. I, I, I've, I'm fans of this guy. I, I think I, for the 10 years that I didn't train, I played music and was in bands and, and, and did that. And there's a guy that I've been following named Butch Walker since he, like 97. I discovered the band that he was in. And every time I listen to a podcast, every time I hear anything by him over like the last five or six years, he's always repeating kind of the same story. Right. And like, I think as I, I related it to myself and that I had, had kind of quit telling that story about the swim and where I've come from and this and that one, because you know, you feel like, Hey man, I just, it, 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 you'll, you feel like you're being exhausting. Like you're being that guy constantly telling it. Right. But I think that there's, well, I know that there's a power in continuing to tell those stories because there's always new people that don't, that need something, right? Like that need that push. And I think that, you know, I do this because I like making change in others. Like that's part of why I want to have a healthy restaurants. That's why I wanted to put on races. Like I want to challenge people to be better. And, and I learned that along the way. And it, it sounds cliche, but that work's never done because there's always people out there that want to improve. So, you know, and you can do it being, uh, say humble, but like you can do it without sounding like some sort of douchebag that you're just constantly talking about yourself. Right. You know, there's a way to do it when, when Correct. prompted to talk about your story, like opportunities like this, like I'd be doing a disservice if I didn't mention the things that you wanted to talk about. Like if I just said, ah, it's no big deal. Like to some people it's a big deal Correct. because they're looking for something that they haven't found yet. And, and it should be an honor to be able to impact people that way right and and kind of like hey man you don't get to decide anymore like you've you've chosen this you don't get to decide to i mean you can decide to not to but if you're true to what you think you say you're about then you need to keep being that for people correct i'm act, i'm having that you know in the last three or four years especially where i felt like i got really really just kind of quiet about that whole part of like, yeah, I did that. It was cool. Whatever. Like, you know, I've done Ironmans, blah, blah, blah. It's no big deal, but it is a big deal to people. Right. And, and, and that that's important. So I think that's a, it's a good reminder to, to keep telling people about what you're doing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, what, what's one of the best races that y'all have as fresh drink for a beginner runner? We have so many, uh, I would say, I don't think that there's a best, but I would encourage people to, if you're the the way that we built the Louisiana marathon was that we could have a kid run the one mile in, you know, fifth grade. And by the time they've graduated high school or in their twenties can run the full, right. And they can step along the way. There's a three, there's a 5k, there's a quarter marathon, there's a half marathon, there's a full that's a cool thing. Like, and I don't, that was deliberate. Like we wanted to make sure like anybody can come out and walk a 5k. Correct. Like we want, we want this. We wanted that buzz of when I worked for Mizuno, I would go to the Boston marathon and everybody in Boston was like, Oh, it's marathon week. 
Like that's what I wanted Louisiana Marathon to have. It's Marathon Week. I wanted people to say that. I get it. Boston's the biggest, but that was the aspiration. Correct. Um, to that end, you know, Tiger 10K has a 5K. Right. Like we try to have shorter distances when we can so that any race that we put on has an option. Right. Um, you get to something like Mardi Gras Mambo, that's a good stepping stone to come up if you've missed the kind of window for Louisiana in that it's got a 10K and a 15K. So it's kind of interesting. We don't do a 5K in that one right right now. Um, we've talked about bringing it back, or we may have one this year. I'm, I'm going to have to check my, my sources. But I would say we don't have a best race. We put on world-class events, and you just have to figure out which one's got the – where you where are you? Right. Where can you start? Um, you know, again, anybody can walk a 5K. You can walk the 5K at – one of the races, you know, at Tiger 10K and maybe move up to the quarter by Louisiana if that's what you want to do. And even if it's walking, it doesn't matter. Like every mile is a mile. Who's to say what, how you get there? Correct. Um, have you all ever dabbled into like trail racing or ultra racing or just strictly road race? Road races and triathlons. Okay. All we've ever done. And it's a... Um, the, the trail racing has got its own community and its own vibe. And that I've done trail, I've done 50 K's and done trail races and done different things. And they're fun. It's just never been my thing. I don't think that it's ever, I think we went out to replicate the things or wanted to put on the things that we did. And that was an easy, you know, those are the races that we did. Most of us came to this sport through triathlon. Like I would say I was a triathlete I was probably a swimmer first triathlete, second runner, third. Okay. Which is, seems counterintuitive but my strength is probably swimming and riding like i'm but i'm I'm worst at running <laughs> uh so i guess is there any reason why triathlons have the structure that it does that you do the, the swim then the bike then the run or yes is it... because most people can't swim okay. or well and once you've swum i mean once you've I, they used to have a reverse triathlon at uh lsu and I was, without a doubt, the fastest swimmer in the race. And it was a run first, followed by a bike. I was in second. And the other guy was a kid who ran at LSU, fast guy. And, like, I almost caught him over eight laps of the pool or ten laps of the pool, whatever it was. And my, I thought I was going to drown. I, th- I mean, I was – my legs, like, you feel like you would not – understand the impact of what riding and running does and if it does that to me like when you the the level of of the poor level of swimming that goes on in triathlon that people just don't work on it is mind-boggling i mean it's like watching people almost drown (laughs) and i'm not and i'm not saying that to be like oh i'm such a great swimmer but i being on a paddleboard at some of our races and watching people i'm like did y'all not even prepare right did you just think you could just come out here and do this and so (laughs) if this is how bad it is at the beginning of a race there's going to be carnage at the end of a race like they'll just be pulling people out of the water because they wouldn't they wouldn't be able to swim a lot of people would you know i can swim mostly with upper body most triathletes swim kicking and after running and biking they would just would be terrible yeah okay it makes sense i I was always kind of wondered that 
I didn't know like why it was structured the way it was. So yeah, that's a, that's a really good answer. But yeah, exactly what you said about like, did you not train for this? I, <laughs> I find it funny because like I tell people like, hey, like let's let's go train for these races, right? And they're like, ah, oh, nah, I'm busy today. I'm busy today. Busy day. Next thing you know, it's race day. Yeah, and they're like slow or they're tired or they're dying at mile two or three, whatever. And I'm like, I told you to come train. I right. told you to go run. Like. You can only be mad at yourself. You know what I mean? One hundred percent. And that's what I going back to the instant gratification. They just they just want the you know the oh I did it look at me. They yeah. don't want the work that it takes to put in to get to that level. Yeah. And the, the other thing is like if you get tired in a regular triathlon and you're on the run and you have to slow down, what do you do? You walk. If you have to stop swimming, right? You drown. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> there, there is, is no walking. Right. There's no walking equivalent. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you can sit there and float. And some That's people it. can't even Wait, float. Can you float and have somebody come get you? <laughs> oh, <clears throat> all right. So I asked Walker this the other day because he has his own uh, trail racing company, Woe Racing. And I was wondering if y'all's races were for profit or for nonprofit. Uh, how we are a for-profit company. Okay. Yep, 100%. We have charity partners and charity opportunities for every race that we put on. Um, but we, to do this the way it needs to be done, we are a for-profit company. Okay. Yep. Understand. And, uh, how do y'all select the charities that y'all do partner with? Um, some of them are existing. Some have been affiliated with races for a long time. Um, uh, a lot of them are community based. Most of them are running based. We have a full on 501c3 that we're putting, you know, we're trying to support other programs and other races and other, other groups. You know, if you have a charity that you like, and almost any race, we haven't rolled it out all the way yet, but we're putting together a way that you can, I don't know, let's say there's a Plaquemine kids group that you want to help get, right. I don't know, what, running shoes for, right? And you wanted to raise money via the Louisiana Marathon. And this isn't, it's not done yet. But the system will be in place that you can have your own charity group and you raise money for a charity. Kind of like how it's kind of like the St. Jude model, okay. different things like people are raising money for different charities, but it'll be set up that you can, as long as it's a re- reputable right. charity, it can't be like a GoFundMe link. You, you can't say, I mean, yeah, you can't say, oh, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to raise money for this thing that doesn't exist. And then you're just raising money and getting a check and going to try to be a charity. Right. Like it can't be like that, but it, it's set, it'll be set up that if you have a reputable charity, that's either a 501c3. And I think the, the, we use a company called run sign up and it's got a, a thing that vets it, you know, just, it looks it up and you go along with it. Yeah. Do y'all have any like new races that y'all plan on adding to the current the schedule next, that you'll have? The or? next new race that we have is actually a, and it was supposed to happen this past labor day, but the, uh, the hurricane, uh, canceled it is we're putting on a two day cross country festival on this spectacular, uh, cross-country course in Tallahassee okay um and that's the next new one we've begun putting on we execute uh eight events for St. Jude so walk runs we did in September we put on eight different walk runs over three weekends in eight different cities and so that's that's been a big a big thing and we'll have some new stuff probably in 2020. We don't have anything for 2023 other than the the, the cross country festival. Um, in 2024, we may have a couple, but those are probably going to be out of market as well. Um, but we're working on those opportunities now. Awesome. Um, 
So where do you see Fresh Junkie going in the next five years? What are your, your vision goals? I, you know, I think I, the, I don't want to answer for the whole crew. I know that we have talks nonstop about what we want to be. Um, I know that we like to continue to challenge ourselves to create these great endurance experiences. And so, you know, we started with the Tiger 10K. We're investigating doing those things at multiple universities. We have um, War Eagle in Auburn already. Um, we're looking at doing those types of things. We're looking at possibly doing more with St. Jude. Um, eventually you get to the point that how big, how big do you want to be and how big do you have to be so that the four partners aren't the ones that are putting on, not putting them on, but you know what I mean? Like how big, how big can four of us make it? Like how many more people do we have to have to, to really take another step? And so I think that those opportunities, you know, we're becoming a group that we had a part of our crew. We had nine people go to the New York city marathon and manage a chunk of the course for them. So I think that we'll do stuff like that as we're trying to figure it out. I don't know. I mean, I, <clears throat> I don't think we have, we've become much better at choosing the right things as opposed to saying yes to everything. So there may be some ebb and flow to, get rid of this, have this, what, what has the biggest impact and where, where should we should take that? So I, I don't have a, a perfect answer for that right now. Okay. No, that's fair. And mm -hmm. I mean, um, I like that you want to incorporate everybody else, not just solely yourselves and like in your own opinion. 100%. Right? It's definitely a team effort. And I mean, I agree. Um, so what's your personal longest distance that you've ever ran before? Running wise, I think the longest I've done is probably a 50 K and a trail 50 K probably, which could be longer just depending on how right. good the, the course is. Uh, yeah, I've done, I think I did, <clears throat> excuse me. I've done that wild azalea a couple times, which is a 27 mile race. And then I've done a couple 50 Ks. I've never, I don't know. Some people are like, Oh, you, you got to go run a 50. we got to run a hundred. I've just never had that itch. Right. Um, I don't know why I just, I, I just never have. Um, yeah, so a 50 K is probably it and swam longer. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I kind of want to do a hundred, but Lord willing, I'm going to shoot for one in, in 2025. We'll see. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. I just feel like it'd be a big milestone to, to push for. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I coach a woman who just did a 50 miler on her 50, 50th birthday or, you know, in the, in the month of, her that's 50th really impressive. Yeah. And that was her first, I mean, she did a 50 K leading up to it, but she'd never run more than a marathon. And so it can be done. I just am not, like I said, I think I, I, I'm probably more of a, more of a runner than anything. I mean, I'm more of a triathlete, like historically, right. You know, but day in and day out, if I've got time, I go run like, but I would never consider myself a runner first okay. ever. Right. And so, and so I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I would do. I don't, I don't have I still like, I don't have any interest in doing a hundred really. Have you ever heard of, well, um, I think it's in Georgia. It's called a UMT MBG. Maybe it's a mm -hmm. bike mountain biking ride. That's like 400 and something miles. I've never heard of that one. I, I've seen, we were, we went on a crew that did race across America in 2016. Juba and I did. And that was pretty impressive. It was like eight guys and you ride you have two vans of four and you leave Oceanside, California and finish in Baltimore. 
So you race all the way across America, but you ride, you have somebody riding 24 hours a day. We did it in six days, I think, which was just mind boggling. You basically run, you know, you have four guys, you do it in 80 mile chunks, roughly. And so, you know, each person would ride 20 miles and drop it, drop it again. The other van on our team went 10 miles, but we were doing like, we did 20 mile increments. Um, but that was, that was insane. Like those dudes averaged 20 miles an hour, 20 plus for the whole way, which is, you know, each person rides 400 miles in six days. That's, that's not inconsequential. I looked at doing, um, there's this thing called Ultraman, which is basically a double Ironman. And I thought about doing that. I just haven't had, it's a lot of bike riding to be ready for it. I get a lot. Right. You know, so <laughs> I, I don't know about that. And then the last day is a double marathon. And I don't know that I have that much interest in, run, in running 52 miles on the third day. So what's your longest uh, bike ride that you've done? I think I've ridden 130 miles or so. What about the swim? That's the 32? Yeah. Yeah. Never going to try to do that again, you don't think? <sighs> you know, my grandmother was lived in Canada and for she used to talk about swimming the English Channel and I, I always think about I've thought about doing it that's kind of the you know the Boston of endurance swimming yeah I've heard of that before too. but it's a you gotta do it in a speedo it's like 60 degree water and like the cold is what I don't know that I'd be able to this, the swimming part of it is I don't want to say inconsequential but I know I can train to do that part of it it's how do you how do you do the the cold when i was still in shape after doing that uh my long swim i thought about swimming from mandeville to new orleans across the poncha train which was also like a marathon All right but i uh just never i don't know i'm not i don't know that i'm one of those that like i want to do things over and over again like you know some people are like oh i want to run the louisiana marathon or or pick a race and they want to run it again the next year and see where they are and run it again. Like I'm not, there's the only races I've done multiple times. I think I've done uh Ironman Florida a couple times and Ironman Chattanooga three times, but otherwise I've not ever really repeated hardly any races. I just kind of do them and then go to the next thing. Right. I yeah. No, I, I, just, I, I know what you mean. Then you get it kind of complacent. Yeah. To, to I mean, I, you look in, God, I love the people that come and race our races every year. Right. I'm not wired that way, right? Like, I, I think a lot of people are, so. um, So, do you have any, like, race week or race day nutrition tips that you have? So, or things that you currently do? Um, for me, race nutrition is always about um, practice leading up to it and doing the same thing on race day. Right. Um. You know, it varies. I think that if you're running ultras, you're out there running 50 miles, 50 K, it's kind of wide open. You can take in whatever you want. A lot of people can, you know, when you look at something like an Ironman, like you've got, I, I'm pretty methodical about what I'm taking in and making sure that I'm, I'm doing the same things and that I'm taking in because you're really, you, you've got a fuel on the bike for the run. Like if you're waiting to get to the run, it's not like starting a marathon and start making sure you're getting your goo in along the way. Like you, you're riding 112 miles. Like you got to be taking in enough for that ride and to be topped off when you start the marathon. Right. Um, 
And I think that that's super important, especially long stuff. Um, you know, it's a, I don't know if I can dig into all of it, but it's a grant. You really, when you're looking at an Ironman or a marathon or different things, it's like making sure that you're taking in the right <clears throat> topping off, getting up very early. Like if you're running in a 7 a.m. start, you need to be eating breakfast at 4 a.m. Like, you know, eating at five is six is it's, you're Too not, late. Gonna, it's not doing you any good. Right. Um, for a marathon, making sure that you're not letting the adrenaline take over and skipping water stations the first three or four miles like you don't have to like walk it but like make sure that you're taking a sip you're getting something in that you know again if you've decided if you've trained a certain way make sure that you're setting yourself up to be able to to race the same way or if you always run with a handheld and are sipping scratch or whatever the whole time you run and then get to race day and don't bring that you deserve whatever you get because you are doing it completely different from how you train and it just doesn't make any sense correct I mean, so really, again, like I was talking about that swim deal, like I had to see if I would get sick after eating for four or five hours because you're, you know, when you're swimming, you're horizontal, so you don't digest the same way. Like, and so you have to like, you have to go try those different things and, and to know how you should do it on race day. Correct. Yeah. So currently whenever I train, I, uh, I take in my gels as I would. You know, like you were saying, like if it was, if I was running the marathon, you know, so I take in the gels every three miles or every four, just kind of depends on the distance specifically for that day. But I stay pretty consistent within that three or four mile window. Do it by time. Right. And that's another thing that some people were telling me to do too. Always, I always, every 30 minutes or every 25 minutes to to pop one in. So, you know, I would say if you do it every four miles, we're, you know, if I tell somebody to do it every four miles and they're running 12 minute miles and you're running eights, like that's 24 minutes later that they're getting gel like that. Right. That doesn't make sense. So I tell them to take it every 30, 30 to 35, whatever, you know, and, and to mess with it. Correct. You know, some people don't take their first one till a little bit later. I always tell people too, like if you, if you miss it, if you miss that first one, you can, it's for a marathon, you can catch up, but like you look at an Ironman and if you don't get your first hour nutrition in on the bike, you're never making a pack up. And I'll also say that the longer the race, the more exponential your mistakes are. So if you, you know, for, if you're just running a marathon, you're gonna be out there for three to four hours and you make a mistake, it, you, you have some wiggle room to make some of that up. If you're doing a, an Ironman and you're out there for 12 hours or a 50 mile and you're out there for 12 miles, 12 hours, those every little mistake affects more things and you're pushing longer. Like everything is more of a wild card. Right. So it's about that diligence of knowing what you're going to do, when you're going to do it and, and practicing that so that on race day, you don't get caught up in the moment and do it. I mean, I tell some people to wear a second watch with all it has is a timer on it for the bike and it just goes off every 15 minutes. So they are reminded to drink. Right. Yeah, that's a good idea. I, I never thought about the second watch in that aspect of just as a stopwatch practically. Yeah. You so. can, you, on, I, and then one of the Timex ones, you can set a 15 minute timer and have it on perpetual repeat. So when it gets to 15 minutes, it goes off and starts over again. Yeah. That's, that's 
I might have to maybe think about that myself. Um, are there any books that you recommend for, for runners for like nutrition or hydration purposes? It's been a while since I read anything like that. I, I got to where over my entrepreneurial life, I think I was reading everything. It was all based on, you know, business and entrepreneurial thinking. And I read that stuff for forever. I, and I burned myself out like I did on peanut butter cliff bars. And I want to say that I did the same thing on, on training books. I read the, the last book I read was, uh, what's the name of it? It's by Laura Fleshman. It's a woman who was the 5k national champion. Uh, and it, it was really a book about the differences between women and men in, in sports and how how we train runners differently and just how it, it was, it was super interesting. It has nothing to do with it, what you're asking for nutrition, but that was the last book I read. It was excellent. Okay. I can't remember the name of it. Laura Fleshman though. All right. Good for a girl was the <clears throat> name of it. Good for a girl. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, what are your thoughts on like IV fluid treatments for like pre-race or post-races? Don't know enough about it. Okay. Um, I thought I've never I saw... taken one, never done it. They've, you know, I know that people swear by them. I mean, I, scientifically they work, but I, I've never, right. I've never done it. Yeah, I haven't either. I was just kind of wondering, and that was something that somebody had asked me to ask you to see what, what you thought. Yeah. But I thought I saw like on your website that might be one of the sponsors or something for the there, race for. LA there's Marathon. somebody that's coming out and doing it at one of the races. I don't remember one, which one, but I do remember. Yeah, I think I saw well. something too. That's why I was just going to ask because yeah. I was like, oh, well, maybe they. Some that he does. I've never, you know, we've had them out there and, and people, you know, like you said, some people swear by them. My wife's a nurse. I mean, I could probably figure out a way to do one at home, but like, I just never, I don't particularly like needles either. I, I don't either. So, <laughs> I mean, I'll just stick to drinking a lot of water and hope for the best. Right. So I do a, a gallon a day. So I drink four yeah. of these and, um, I, uh, don't drink coffee. Like, so I kind of do like little energy drinks and stuff like this and I'll do, um, one of those maybe per day, not every single day. Yeah. And I'll do the gallon and I'll take in some electrolyte stuff like yeah. the A-game drinks or, you know, whatever. I mean, so. you know, the big, all the rage has been the element and all that other stuff. And, and it's funny, we were using my, a coach I used to use, uh, he's a good friend of mine. And he was, he came up with this stuff called salt sherpa. And it was basically just pink Himalayan salt. I mean, that's all that element is. It's just salt with, it's, it's a kind of salt that I think they add a little bit of magnesium and potassium. Correct. People get all bent out of shape. Like, I don't know if I need that much sodium. And I'm like, you lose 1200 milligrams of sodium an hour. Right. When you're training. Have you ever done a sweat test before? I have done a sweat test, not a, I've done more of a, uh, and I recommend all the people I coach do it during the summer, weigh yourself in the morning naked, go run an hour come back, weigh yourself again and see how much you lost because it's, then you can figure out ounces per hour right? because it'll tell you how many pounds convert that to ounces. Right. You have to see how much you need to take during as well as how much you need after. I mean, I've lost up to seven pounds. Running I'm, I'm in an like 3.1 is yeah. 3.2 is the most I've lost that I've weighed myself and noticed. Yeah. Uh, Cause sometimes I'm so thirsty. I just go straight and drink water For and, sure. and not, and not, uh, you know, step on the scale immediately, but having an consistently idea around three pounds yeah. is what I, what I do on long runs. Yeah. Um, do you, what's your like tapering recommendations, I guess, for either a marathon or any longer distance from 10 K or not? I usually, um, tapering is, I usually have people taper very minimally. 
um, you know, you reduce, you reduce the volume. I mean, you're slowly reducing the volume. Right. <clears throat> um, I, I would say that my last, usually the last four weeks are usually 20, 13, eight, then race from like their long run. Um, but that also depends on pace. Uh, the week of the race, I do have them do like a short, you know, some short turnover based intervals, but you know, by, by the last week you need to keep running. I think that there's probably a lot, I think a lot of more novice runners shut down too much that you can just kind of run. You know, if, when you think about it, you're really, your only real long run is your long run. Nothing else is maybe some people run an hour, hour 15 in the middle of the week, but most people are are running the same weekly runs they'd run for a 10 K as they'd run for a marathon. Right. Right. And so like keeping that is just what you're used to. So, yeah, the only thing I've changed recently and uh, I just started this last week was, so normally I would do a five miler in the morning on Mondays and I changed that to a five mile ruck run now. And, uh, on happies, I could do a speed run, the 5K speed runs with the group. Uh, Wednesdays, I started doing a 10-mile uh, tempo. Yeah. So I'll do that. And uh, Thursday, kind of do whatever um, varsity group does. It's normally yeah. kind of like a little interval pace run workout. And it's around five miles, too. And then uh, Fridays, I typically would do my long run. So this week was an off week because I do it every other Friday. Yeah. But next week, I'm doing the uh, turkey trot. So cool. I'm probably not going to do it. We'll see. But uh, supposed to be doing a 23 and a quarter that on that Friday. I would, yeah, I would push it. You know, well, it depended on work too, right? right. Well, I don't work on Fridays, so that's yeah, how this that's works that's out. Easy. Perfect. I always recommend to like putting space in between. Like you don't get faster from running hard on Wednesday, Thursday. Correct. You get faster when you rest. I agree. And you're recovering. So if you're not recovering and you're constantly doing stuff, you're just not, you're not even getting the gains from the, uh, from the work that you're doing. Right. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. No, I agree with that too. Um, so if you could provide us with some, some of the, I guess like information from the, your Mizuno days, like how did you get involved with them and, I, I got, uh, so I worked for varsity sports and I started, I was trying to find ways to get a job in the industry. And, uh, I spent a little bit of time working for a site, some cycling brands and other things like that. But I was running in Mizuno running shoes. Like that was my shoe. And I kept just, I kept asking, like, I was like, what are the opportunities? When, how can I get a job here? And I just kept putting myself in right. the position to, to take advantage of opportunities and, the territory became available and I went after the job aggressively and ended up getting it Okay, and worked in it. I was a salesman for I guess six years, six or seven. I tried once to become a business unit manager, like working for the, you know, at a corporate level as opposed to being, I wasn't, I was a, I was a sales guy, but I, we were all in house wasn't independent but we were all in our territories like we didn't have to go and that didn't happen and i was pretty much i think i was out within a year after that i was like you know after a while i was like all right i can sell shoes i don't want to do that anymore do something else so we started started doing more races started running company all right and that is where the device ends um he did go into a spill about his time as a track coach and cross-country coach at u high um 
he began to speak about his son, you know, running track for a university up north. And he also does some side coaching for adults as well, if you were interested. Someone making, like, your your personal plans for runs. Uh, he's a great source. If you're interested, you can follow him on his Instagram. That's going to be listed below in the show notes. Um, you can reach out to him through Fresh Junkie. He is a very knowledgeable man in the triathlete and running community. He will answer any questions that you have. I'm, I'm sure of it. So that's all I have for you guys this week on this episode of the Next Milestone Podcast. And this is also featured on the Tempo Podcast, which is powered by Fresh Junkie Racing, hosted by Mike and Patrick. We'll catch you guys next week on the next episode of the Tempo Tuesday and on the next episode of the Next Milestone Podcast. Until then, it's time for you to get back on your grindstone so you can achieve the next milestone. I've been set free. I've got a long way to go. But Lord, I know there's not a step I'm going to take when you're not with me. I've got a long way to go. But Lord, I know there's not a step.